Hello and welcome to the October 1st, 2019 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It is awesome to have everybody here with me today. And of course, as always, it is wonderful to be out there with you as well. And it feels like I've been with you quite a bit over the last couple of days, being that it is number day, day number, number day, (laughs) day number two that Mr. Joe has been podcasting and I'm happy to be doing so. Uh, We have an important episode today uh, because I've overlooked something. I've terribly overlooked something and you would think that Mr. Joe would have attended to this a little bit sooner. Uh, considering the fact that my diagnosis formally actually includes, well, what other better way to say this than half of what I'm about to present today in terms of my schizoaffective diagnosis. You know, we sit here, we talk about bipolar disorder all the time, but very little do we talk about schizophrenia. And, you know, I will mention my psychosis and I will mention... Uh, little tidbits and, you know, little little parts of the schizophrenic portion of what Mr. Joe, I guess you could say, suffers from. Um, and a lot of times I don't get into tremendous detail about the schizophrenia for the simple fact that I am not um, living with it on a daily basis, let's put it that way, mainly because my medication is working, it's worked well. Uh, you know, without a doubt, the Seroquel was something that had to be utilized and put back into the mix. And as you all know, I've been on and off and on and off, and I'm not sure what I reported the last time around. But I will tell you this, that I am back on the Seroquel now, and as tired as it makes me feel from a schizophrenia standpoint, it, it makes the, it makes the, the schizophrenia portion of what I experience less severe and less debilitating, um, you know, debilitating on my brain, so to speak. But, you know, uh, one of the reasons why I, this, this podcast is coming out today is really because, like everything else, I was prompted by a listener. And I am not going to read the email word for word, and I'm also not going to reveal, because as I've said many times, I will not reveal unless you ask me to reveal. Uh, but we did get a listener who expressed some concern about the fact that we have all these, you know, powerful and informative and educational 101 podcasts, Cocaine 101 and Anxiety 101 and Bipolar 101 and, you know, where is the Schizophrenia 101? Well, it's here. Now you got it. And as everything else, guys, this is not going to be Mr. Joe describing schizophrenia necessarily from a textbook perspective. You have to understand that. I I just don't, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I feel more comfortable going by my own personal experiences and, you know, throwing in potentially what I might know from a scientific standpoint or 
symptomatic standpoint, whatever it might be, because Mr. Joe certainly does not suffer from all of the schizophrenic symptoms that somebody with, I guess for lack of better terms, full-blown schizophrenia would suffer from. But I certainly know what it's all about, and uh, I do know what some of the symptoms can be, and I also know how, how severe and, you know, not to use this word again, but debilitating of a, of a brain and behavior disorder this can be. You know, for Mr. Joe, I mean, it's very simply put, it affects how I think, it affects how I feel, it affects how I act. And to me, that's, to some extent, what schizophrenia is and what makes it so much different from bipolar. I mean, you know, in, in some respect, it affects how I think, how I feel, and how I act when it comes to bipolar disorder. But I think the big difference here, guys, is that, at least not now, but back in the day, you know, this, that the schizophrenia for Mr. Joe was, you know, it was, it was severe enough to the point where, in, in terms of comparing it to bipolar disorder, I had a lot of difficulty distinguishing what was real from fake. You know, from expressing and managing my normal emotions, that well, whatever normal emotions there are supposed to be within an individual, and, you know, most of my life had a lot of difficulty making decisions. And for Mr. Joe, that's what schizophrenia was about. You know, people think, that schizophrenia is about these voices and these illusions and hallucinations. And yes, to some degree it is, but really what it all comes down to is there are other little factors that people tend to forget about that really can impede a person's way of living. And for me, again, it was, you know, managing those quote-unquote normal emotions and trying to make decisions based off of the way that I felt and ultimately never being able to really distinguish what was fantasy from reality and that's scary and you know I mean yes with schizophrenia you like I said you're going to hear the imaginary voices and believe that other individuals are reading your mind and controlling your thoughts or plotting to harm you and all of those things and yes you know Mr. Joe unfortunately does suffer from a little bit of that and we've talked about paranoia we did just so as of recently yesterday, but ultimately, um, you know, my thought process for most of my life was terribly disorganized, and, you know, my motivation to engage in most of life's activities was always a very, um, very big task for Mr. Joe, and, you know, I may talk about how the moods, the ups and downs may really be the um, the reason as to why I always had difficulty in some of those social situations and, you know, again, just in regular everyday life activities. But, you know, to me, and thankfully, I don't live or never lived with the symptoms like continuously throughout my life. It was more of an intermittent thing. Um, but, you know, many people out there, they just simply don't understand schizophrenia. And that's kind of to some degree what I'll be doing today and hopefully helping some of you out there um, understand it. Th those of you who may just be curious, because to me it is a fascinating, fascinating mental illness. As a matter of fact, when I look at two things that fascinate me in life in terms of mental stability or mental illness or you know cognitive thinking, I find autism to be fascinating as well. 
and you know along the lines of schizophrenia and i will tell you this that there are many children and adults with autism that have been mistaken as being schizophrenic in the past as a matter of fact long long time ago when autism really didn't exist to the best of our knowledge although it's always been around you know when we didn't know what autism was it was very easy to label somebody with schizophrenia you know and by the way just so you all know as i'm sitting here and i'm watching my recording take place and what i mean by that is watching my recording is i usually can see the time ticking away in terms of how much i've recorded thus far and the sick feeling that I just got when I spoke whatever my last sentence was before I got into this, and I looked at the clock and it said 8.20, meaning I was 8 minutes and 20 seconds into my recording. I mean, this just goes to show you the, the psychopathic, wackadooish behaviors that Mr. Joe unfortunately still engages in and the fact that I am totally convinced that somebody is reading my mind to some degree. And I apologize if you just heard a phone ring. I don't have it on silent. I don't know if you heard what I heard, but I just declined it. Um, but to go back where we were at, which really I don't even remember. That's how that's how disorganized my thoughts can be sometimes, you know. But ultimately, I'm, I consider myself to be relatively lucky that you know I suffer from these symptoms intermittently throughout my life. And unfortunately, for those of you who are in the same boat as me or who are continuously dealing with these symptoms, what it comes down to is stigma. Stigma is a big thing when it comes to schizophrenia because we are often stigmatized by people who do not understand schizophrenia. And, you know, regardless of most people's perception out there, people with schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder like myself, we do not have split or multiple personalities, everybody. All right, please keep that in mind. We normally do not pose any kind of danger to another person. But one thing I will say is the symptoms themselves are absolutely mind-boggling and to some degree extremely terrifying to those of us who, you know, can you know be susceptible to those schizophrenic type of symptoms and you know it makes people like us agitated you know all the things that you normally will see somebody with any kind of a mental illness especially bipolar disorder but because oftentimes I was so terrified about what I was seeing or hearing or being told to do you know I would become completely like catatonic to some degree I wouldn't respond to people I would block myself in my room, and I'd stare at my ceiling in my bed and, you know, just be completely withdrawn from my family and from my friends. And, you know, I mean, listen, did I try to commit suicide because of bipolar disorder or did I try to commit suicide because of schizophrenia? I mean, I would imagine the numbers of people with schizophrenia that actually complete a suicide attempt in the first 10 years, let's say, of the illness, you know, I would I would assume that number is pretty high. I mean, I don't know it offhand. I have no idea. But, you know, people with schizophrenia, they are absolutely more susceptible to suicide. So 
you know, and as far as I remember or know, I know young men specifically, although there is no real rhyme or reason as to why a man or a woman would get schizophrenia. I mean, it's pretty much equal between the both, as far as I remember or know. Um, I could tell you this, that from a suicidal perspective, I believe that men are more susceptible to suicide when it comes to schizophrenia. I could be wrong. I don't know. It's just something that I remember reading a long time ago when I was trying to figure out, you know, what the hell was going on with me and my mind. But ultimately, the, the best news of all is that, you know, while schizophrenia is a chronic condition, it can be treated. And I am living proof of that. It's, it can be treated with medication and, you know, um, some psychotherapy, some, you know, I, I guess social coaching, so to speak. Um, but obviously, again, it starts with the medication factor in terms of getting yourself better. And, you know, people will also oftentimes ask me, well, Mr. Joe, you know, how did you develop it? Like, where does it come from? Is, is there a reason? Is it hereditary? And you know what? I mean, my answer has always been, yeah, I mean, it's genetically definitely something that um, involves the passing down of genes. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, take a look at the witch. And I'm not talking about my ex-wife, I'm talking about my mother. You know, the witch definitely has, you know, whether it's borderline personality disorder or a little schizophrenic herself, who knows. You know, whatever she's feeling, I'm never going to get the truth. Or at least I'll never get the truth from what she felt in her past. And you know what, to some degree I get it, because I hid it for a very long time. But, um, you know, in terms of catching it, you know, you just don't catch schizophrenia, but... Genetics definitely play a role. I believe the environment plays a very, very big role in terms of whether or not you're going to develop schizophrenia, but obviously the genetics would have to be a part of that. The brain wiring itself, you know, the way that our brains are put together, the brain chemistry, so to speak, big, big um, factor that contributes to the potential risk of developing schizophrenia as you age. Um you know, the development of the brain overall, the structure, the development, all of those things, you know, have to do with the development of schizophrenia, but really ultimately that I'm thinking that a whole bunch of different genes cause the disorder, you know, not one single gene on its own, I have to imagine. Again, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, but, um, you know, I would imagine that it's several different genes that would cause or increase the risk of getting schizophrenia. And I do know this, unfortunately, in terms of testing, we don't have any way of, you know, testing that genetic information on somebody to see if one of us is going to develop the schizophrenia. And by the way, just so everybody knows, there goes uh, Mr. Joe's dad. <laughs> flying around. My my wife, actually, not to get too much off the subject, but she texted me a few hours ago just to let me know that as she was going to put out the garbage earlier, the orange butterfly flew right past her. And uh, it's just amazing. Amazing. Um, absolutely amazing. But anyway, so he just says hello. <laughs> okay. Um, but, but ultimately guys, what it comes down to is this. I think that the interactions between our genes and whatever our environment is, 
I think you need to have the two of those interacting together, you know, specific genes in combination with the environment that one is living in, and that, to me, is necessary for the schizophrenia to develop. I don't believe that it will develop on its own based on just genes, genetics, (laughs) genetics alone. I really do feel like your surroundings, your environment, how you're living, what you're living like, who you're living with, um, all of those things, I think, play a contributing role into when or if schizophrenia will develop. And um, Again, not a doctor, but this is just my overall thought process. So remember, when I convey this information, guys, you know, I convey it to the best of my own personal opinions and ability because I don't have any living proof or statistical evidence for any of the stuff that I'm talking about. I just got my my own mind and my own words and my own experiences. So that's what I try to give you guys. Now, um, from a textbook standpoint, educational standpoint, I think this is important um, because I actually did have to look this up, and thank goodness Mr. Joe has a very good memory. Um, but I do know that there are subtypes of schizophrenia, and I thought it was important to mention that, and the only reason why I figured there were subtypes, because I never knew this before, I thought to myself, well, is schizoaffective disorder a subtype? To, to some extent it is. I mean, if it, if it contains or includes schizophrenia, well, then my schizoaffective disorder is a subtype of schizophrenia, and we all know what schizoaffective disorder is. It's, it presents with the symptoms of both the schizophrenia and of the bipolar disorder. You know, but it doesn't necessarily have to be bipolar, guys. It could be, you know, schizophrenia and any other major, major mood disorder. Depression. You know, depression and schizophrenia. If you have been diagnosed with depression and schizophrenia together, then that is also considered to be schizoaffective disorder. So it's when the symptoms of both the major mood disorder and the schizophrenia mix. So, you know, I always talk about how the bipolar mixes with the schizophrenia. Schizophrenia, God. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, everybody. Um, but again, in, in retrospect, it could be just, you know, it's any major mood disorder. I just happen to have schizoaffective bipolar type. Now, um, other schizophrenias we have, and, you know, off the top of my head from yesterday, paranoid schizophrenia, kind of piggybacking off, we talk, off what we talked about yesterday with the paranoia and the hallucinations and psychosis and you know all of those things you have paranoid schizophrenia and those those are the suspicious ones you know those are those of us that uh grandiosity and you know persecution combination of those things feelings of extreme suspicion um you know being paranoid and that's, so you got two subtypes there. You got your schizoaffective disorder, your paranoid schizophrenia, and then um, on top of that, we have uh, disorganized schizophrenia. Well, I should really be looking this up. Um, disorganized schizophrenia, when your thoughts are just all over the place, not necessarily delusional, but you know your thoughts are basically incoherent. You can't even make them out think about that they're disorganized you have disorganized thought not necessarily a delusional thought but 
you know, completely disorganized. You can consider that to be disorganized schizophrenia. Then you have catatonic schizophrenia, with, which is, um, you know, isolation, withdrawing yourself, negative effects, isolation, you know, uh, psychomotor, psychomotor disturbances, you know, just totally just not wanting to be around anybody or anything. And, um, you know, I believe that that's been part of my M.O. over the course of the last several years with Mr. Joe. So possibly some of that catatonic schizophrenia embedded in me. And then you have something called residual schizophrenia. So those are our delusions, uh, the hallucinations. They go away. But ultimately, your desire to be living, or just your interest in life overall, or your motivation to live, is just gone. You, know, you have no no desire really. You know, they, they, the 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 hallucinations may come and go, but ultimately, in the end, rather rather regardless of whether they're there or not, you're going to have diminished if none at all motivation or interest in your life and uh, that is another subtype of schizophrenia so we had uh, catatonic we have residual we have the schizoaffective disorder the uh, disorganized schizophrenia and the paranoid schizophrenia a lot of people don't know that there are subtypes and a lot of people don't realize that you know we all have different symptoms every different person has a different symptom and the way that schizophrenia manifests itself and really progresses and gets moving in a person's mind and body, it all depends on the time that you get it, that it comes on, you know, the severity of those symptoms that you're dealing with and the duration of the symptoms. And just so you know, and I feel like we've done this before, guys, possibly with schizoaffective. We might have even reviewed schizophrenia because I, I feel like we have spoken about those categories of symptoms that are considered to be cognitive and negative and positive. Those are, those are the symptoms that we refer to when we talk about schizophrenia. And all three kinds of those symptoms, well, they ultimately reflect the issues in the brain. And, you know, I know this with schizophrenia that there are a lot of relapses, there are a lot of times where we feel better, and then all of a sudden the cycles, you know, they occur again, and then we get better, and then we get worse, and then we get better again and again, repeatedly over time, and, you know, just when we think we're safe, we're not, and, um, you know, so, but at least for me, that was always with, with Mr. Joe, you know, I would feel like I was safe. Now, in terms of positive symptoms, which obviously could be pretty scary, um, but they also could be very relatively mild to some degree. But I will tell you this. I mean, you know, and those of you who are suffering from schizophrenia or, you know, not no longer suffering so much but have had it or have something to compare this to, I could tell you right now that my positive symptoms really are, they, they always included like, you know, the delusions, hallucinations, thought disorders, and, um, you know, that was... Those are really, really what I call the positive symptoms, and ultimately those delusions, hallucinations, those voices that Mr. Joe would hear, not always bad, not always bad, not always demeaning, not always insulting, but 
ultimately all those things are called psychosis, which is what we just talked about yesterday. And, you know, when we think about psychosis, believe it or not, a lot of people's brains automatically gear up for bipolar disorder because, I don't know, man, some reason a lot of people associate psychosis with bipolar disorder, which is right, but man, it doesn't get more psychotic when it comes to schizophrenia, you know, when you got a delusion that, um, you know, makes me believe that somebody is monitoring me or threatening me or reading my thoughts, you know, I don't deal with that much anymore other than this 820 thing that I can't seem to get out of my mind, um, you know, but at least, like, right now, let's put it this way. I'm not hearing or seeing or feeling or smelling something that that isn't around, okay? Um, so that's good. <laughs> now, I do have these... I do have some difficulty, a lot of times, putting, like, sensible thoughts together or even making sense of my own speech. Sometimes I will be... You know, a little clumsy. My mannerisms are not always um, too normal. I'm repetitive sometimes with my actions. And, um, you know, I mean, that's usually the way I act when it's in terms of my positive symptoms. I even know people that have, like, stood still, you know, rigid, completely like a statue for long, long extended periods of time. Um, that never happened to Mr. Joe, but I do recall uh, being hospitalized at one time in my life and um, dealing with somebody who had schizophrenia. Um, and me being actually, um, you know, somewhat, it's amazing because you deal with these symptoms on your own, but because you have such a difficult time separating fantasy from reality, when you see somebody else suffering from it, let me tell you something, it scares you just as much as if you didn't have it. You know, a lot of people who don't have a mental illness, when they see people in action that do, um, it could be frightening to some people. And for me, you know, even though I experienced a lot of what schizophrenics do experience, you know, I was not experiencing them at the time in which I was hospitalized, at least as far as I could remember. And the way this girl was acting scared the living you-know-what out of me, so... Um, you know, it could be very frightening for those of us who are not, you know, accustomed to it. Now, um, something else called negative symptoms when it comes to schizophrenia, and those reflect a loss of, um, like, functioning in your emotions and your motivation. You don't want to make any plans. You don't want to find any pleasure in life. You got this lack of expression and this emotional flatness where we just become socially withdrawn. And believe me, there have been many, many times in the past when, you know, I think back to my ex-wife, you, you know, she would call me lazy or tell me, you know, get, knock it off, you know, get out of your depression already. Because those symptoms, they could definitely be mistaken for somebody that's being lazy or depressed. And really, um, I just could not begin or sustain any kind of a plan to do anything. Nothing. So sure, it would look like I was depressed. But those are what I call negative symptoms. Really just like the loss of 
some of those really important abilities that we have. And then, of course, we have our cognitive stuff that goes on where, you know, our attention is screwed up and our memory is a little off. Well, there you go. Whose hands are going up right now? Mr. Joe's jumping up and down like a maniac to raise his hand because you know, you want to talk about planning and organizing to achieve some kind of a a goal or a wish or a, you know um, you have something in mind. Well, guess what? You know my <laughs> my memory problems, my inability to attend to certain things sometimes are the most debilitating of all. They're the most debilitating. They're the ones that uh, present with me with difficulty in terms of leading a normal life, those cognitive symptoms. I mean, if you guys think back, those are the times in which I podcast that I am a complete disaster, an absolute disaster, you know, when I'm dealing with cognitive defects and I'm just like, you know, my attention's all over the place. It's, It's a horrible way to live. And I didn't live like that the whole time, believe me. You know, that was not always something that went on with Mr. Joe. I didn't always cognitively suffer, but I have been lately, you know, people will ask me, well, when did it come out, Mr. Joe? And I'm I'm convinced, even though if you read stories and books and, you know, information on schizophrenia, people will tell you that it's very rare for it to happen in, you know, young children. And while it might be rare... Please understand that that doesn't mean that it does not happen because I, clear as day, remember things when I was five, six years old that I can honestly say I don't know whether or not they were real or they were fake. I have to assume that they were fake because many of those things never resurfaced again. Um, And if they did, they resurfaced in a way where... um, how do I even put it? Well, you know what? I won't put it anyway because here I go again. Here I go again. <laughs> yeah, you could fill in the blanks. I forgot. So this is actually getting really kind of sad. But um, I think what I was trying to talk about was like when it developed in me. Oh, yeah, that's right. So I was young when I first really realized that things were going on. But those hallucinations and delusions even though I had them very young people will tell you that it usually starts between the ages of like 16 and 32 35 maybe even 30 I mean that's a pretty um that's a pretty wide gap in which you know a person can suffer from these symptoms and you know not know anything is wrong for a very very long time um I think I don't want to say that men get hit harder than it than women with schizophrenia, but I do believe because we tend to have the onset come a little bit earlier, um, I will say that, you know, we experience those symptoms earlier. I'm pretty sure that nobody gets schizophrenia after the age of like 45 or something like that, but... You know, here I am, 44, and still kicking strong, although under control. But, you know, somebody tells you that schizophrenia rarely occurs in children. That is an absolute misconception, because let me tell you something. 
the awareness of onset childhood onset of schizophrenia is definitely increasing and it's important that it does because it is out there and I am living proof for it it's just the problem is it's definitely difficult to diagnose schizophrenia in young children especially teens I mean think about me as a teenager you know like I've talked about the time when I lost all my friends even though I really related that to my mother and what she created in terms of, you know, me, her horrific creation of perfection, you know, but I had a change of friends, I lost my friends, you know, there was a time when my grades got really bad and sleep was always an issue, irritability was always an issue, but listen, these are things that teenagers are like, you know, I feel like I'm describing my daughter right now, really. And as far as I know, she does not have schizophrenia, but she could be lazy. She could, you know, switch friends like at the drop of a dime. Her grades don't ever suffer, though. But she's definitely got a lot of sleep problems and a lot of, you know, nastiness to her. So she's a teen. And if a teen is displaying those things, it's very, very common for somebody to turn around and just say, well, they're a teen. They're not schizophrenic. That's something that usually does not even pop into our mind um it's it's just you know it's just the way that it is but you know we have to look at how it's diagnosed really you know when does it get diagnosed how does it get diagnosed and you know i guess you could say that it gets diagnosed when we look at our you know potential patient or candidate and we see what they're engaging in and i will tell you this that um you know isolation is a huge one withdrawing from others is a huge one and obviously how many times are we going to talk about those you know wackadoo thoughts and suspicions and obviously if you got a family history of um, any kind of mental illness or psychosis and for that matter you know we could say that you know that's we're we're beginning to diagnose there and there's actually something called the prodromal prodromal stage believe it or not and uh, I remember that one because I pronounced it 5,000 times (laughs) before I went on my podcast today because it's one of the things that I looked up and you know mainly because of young people I was interested in you know trying to find out how do we really like dig deep and find out whether or not a young person has schizophrenia and you have to really look at those prodromal periods in time and really all that all that means guys it's it's like a group of symptoms that may proceed or precede really a group of symptoms that precedes the onset of the schizophrenia so schizophrenia itself is diagnosed by the presence of symptoms or, you know, those triggers or those precursors for up to six months. And if you got two or more symptoms such as like hallucinations or delusions or the speech disorganization, catatonic behavior, if that lasts for about a month, well, it's safe to say that, you know, you're on your way to a schizophrenic type of diagnosis. I mean... Really, as far as I remember, only one symptom is required for a diagnosis. If those delusions that you're having are just crazy and insane enough, 
you know, and that, that wild or the hallucinations that you're having consist of voices that are, you know, conversing with you or conversing with each other. If you hear a whole bunch of voices, um, if, if somebody is commenting on your behaviors or your thoughts, you know, that's... Uh, those are pretty good signs, guys, that um, you're on your way to a schizophrenic diagnosis. Um, so, you know, and, and during a six-month, like, I guess you could say assessment of whether or not somebody has schizophrenia, you're definitely going to see some social problems come up. There's no doubt about it. But in my opinion, the quicker you can get to a diagnosis and treat schizophrenia, the better. Because I believe in my heart that every time we have a psychotic episode, that we do damage to our brain. And if anything was going to do damage to Mr. Joe's brain, I believe it was more of the schizophrenic symptoms that I experienced. That's where we get the damage done to our brain. So I'm um, not saying that the bipolar disorder does not. Um, do that to our brain, but there is no doubt in my mind that there is a horrible, horrible, um, you know, opportunity for damage when it comes to psychosis. And, you know, every psychotic episode, I feel like we're putting ourselves more at risk. So it's important to pay attention to those prodromal, that prodromal period. And just in, in case I didn't explain it well enough, guys, here's an example, okay? What I mean by, you know, prodromal, how do I say this? All right, so let's say you got a fever. The fever is prodromal to the chicken pox, meaning that the fever itself may be a risk factor for developing the chicken pox. So we want to look at that prodromal period to see if there are any, you know, any symptoms that are coming on, you know, that isolation, the withdrawal, unusual thoughts and suspicions, that kind of stuff. Again, family history. If those prodromal symptoms are there, well, it's a good possibility that, you know, that fever is going to turn into chickenpox or that isolation or those suspicions are going to turn into schizophrenia so is there a cure for it i don't know i don't think there is i mean as far as i know it's treatable it's manageable with medication if we get it early enough um you know obviously if you're dealing with some of those acute symptoms those severe intense hallucinations or delusional thinking if you're suicidal if you can't take care of yourself you know you may have to go into a hospital. Mr. Joe was there. Antipsychotics, you know. For me, Abilify was the first antipsychotic that I was put on, and it didn't work. It made me more crazy. But antipsychotic drugs are the primary medication that is going to be used to reduce those symptoms of schizophrenia. So no, there's not a cure, but we could relieve the positive symptoms, okay, and then, you know, some behavioral therapy or seeing a, a you know, a, a specialist of some sort 
well, maybe then we could help retrain the brain once we can reduce those symptoms, but we got to get rid of those symptoms via an antipsychotic. And then as you treat the schizophrenia, you'll start to see that, believe it or not, somebody like Mr. Joe, who is a certified wackadoo, you know, I could even start to improve on my communication and my motivation and my coping mechanisms and caring for myself. And because I'm able to do all that, guys, not only can I podcast, <laughs> but, you know, I could go to work. I could socialize with people. I could be out in public. And, you know, because I'm getting treatment, and because I'm constantly monitoring how I feel, and I'm getting regular psychotherapy to some degree, or at least seeing a psychiatrist, well... You know, those of us who do that are usually more compliant when it comes to our medication. And therefore, we have fewer relapses. And, of course, the result of that would be fewer hospitalizations. So, it sucks. I'm not going to lie. I'm not, I hope this doesn't seem like, you know, that I'm painting schizophrenia to be some, you know, desirable mental illness because it's not. I just tried to be as straightforward as possible and explain to you all what goes on in my mind and what I feel. You know, and I think we can agree that the delusional paranoia, you know, that jealousy paranoia, that delusional jealousy, which, you know, takes, take that out of yesterday's podcast, but combine it with our schizophrenic talk today and... We could all say that, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, Mr. Joe still has many of the symptoms that are associated with the schizophrenia. But I'm living, I'm functioning, I'm working, I'm doing relatively well, I'm married, I got kids, I can care for them, I could drive, I could shop, I could sleep, I could, you know, I could do all these things that, you know, many, many quote-unquote typical regular people can do. So, end the stigma, man, of schizophrenia, because we are not the ones that are running out and buying guns and, you know, shooting places up because we have schizophrenia. It doesn't work like that. That I will, you know, I don't talk a lot about politics, like I've said. I don't talk a lot about gun control. The one thing I will go on record saying, man, is nobody was born with schizophrenia and then turned around and said, oh, because I'm schizophrenic, I'm going to, you know, um, shoot up the movie theater. It doesn't work like that. Listen, I'm a psycho enough where if I'm not medicated and I'm in one of my manic moods, you want to give me a gun and I'm not good doing well that particular day? Well, then people might be in trouble. I've never shot a gun. I've never, I have never even held a gun, okay? But get that gun in the wrong hands of a mentally ill person who is suffering at the moment, well, you could have a problem, but we don't shoot things and people and places because we're mentally ill. It doesn't work like that. The more mentally ill I am, a lot of times, the more scared I am of everything. <laughs> I hate to say it. My God, put me in a depression. I'm scared of my own shadow. You know, when I'm walking around and I have people telling me that I'm ugly and I'm smelly and, uh, you know, that I need to shower and then I'm fighting back with them and saying, I just showered. And I realize that I'm talking to somebody who doesn't exist. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but, um, 
usually, you know, robbing a place or blowing a place up or shooting up a place is the furthest thing from my mind. I'm being honest with you. And I would almost guarantee that it's the furthest thing from anybody who's dealing with a mental health issue's mind as well. Okay, so no. Get that one straight. Okay, and that's about all I'm going to do when it comes to gun control. So don't get excited, guys. We're certainly not doing any more episodes about that. Anyway, as always, it was great having everybody with me. Um, If you'd like to reach out, MrJoeBP at Yahoo.com. I hope you found this schizophrenia podcast to be somewhat enjoyable and educational uh, and you know in closing just listen to these words because they're very important if you are doing well with a mental illness right now I ask that you continue to work hard if you love or you care about somebody with a mental illness I ask that you continue to support that person the very best way that you know how and if you're struggling right now with any kind of a mental illness I ask that you continue to fight continue to battle and most importantly soldier on Thank you so much for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Everybody have a great day, and I'll see you again soon.